Full disclosure, tomorrow I start a 10-week sabbatical. <laughs> and uh, huge privilege, and uh, I'm certainly going to leave it all on the field or in the pulpit as it were. I don't want to be sitting on a beach going, I should have said that, and that was a lemon. Um, but uh, all pressure aside, it has been a frenetic five months and leading up to this time, and God has been so kind to us because on the home stretch, uh, just getting to the end of 10 years of leading in a church, um, there have been some major milestones. Uh, we got our U.S. citizenship, which has been amazing. Uh, we celebrated as a church our 50th anniversary, which was incredible. I uh, was able to submit uh, a master's thesis at the end of eight years. And uh, so incredible to be able to go uh, at the end of those sort of milestones. But I, 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 this is the full confession. I got to this week going, well, one more hurdle to get through, and then we'll breathe and uh, sip some little orange juice with a, an umbrella in it or, or something like that. <clears throat> but uh, this week has not been a hurdle for us um, We've had our, our kids here. We've really wanted them to experience the advanced family. And uh, we have been so buoyed and so carried along by what God is doing in this family. It's an absolute privilege to serve, absolute privilege to be part of you. Our local church has been so strengthened by this partnership. And uh, just to see my kids included in this family is massive privilege. So I... Uh, I want to talk to you this morning about revitalizing vision. And at a time like this, any leadership time really, I'm asking a few things. One of the things I'm asking is, Lord, uh, what is true in your word? That should firstly be the question we ask. What's true? Secondly, what do people need? Uh, but, but thirdly, I'm, I'm generally asking, well, what is true in my life? You know, Acts 3, Peter and John, silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we give to you. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, ministry and leadership is what we have. And, and our churches and our lives, not everything is working strong. Uh, some things, by God's kindness and grace, are, are working a little bit better than others. And, and I want to talk to you about vision because vision is not something that I feel I am intuitively good at. Uh, and, and pastoring a church in Southern California, which is like the Bible Belt of the West Coast, I'm surrounded by these incredible visioneers. I remember going to Rick Warren's Saddleback Church, and there on this massive glass wall are his eight purposes of the purpose-driven church etched there, you know? And you just go, oh my gosh, what a visionary. And uh, spoke to another Korean-American pastor a while ago, you know, and we were talking about planting. We just planted a church in Thailand, and, I, and he said, yeah, I've also planted a few churches in Thailand, and I said, how many? He said, well, 300 so far. Uh, we've got a, a series of fish farms, and I've started a banking consortium. You what? We've, you know, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's very easy when we think of vision to have an inferiority complex. And so I, I want to talk to you as someone who's, who's not an intuitive visionary. 
But I have learned by God's kindness and, and a team that vision can be compelling in a church. And so I want to share biblically with you, but unapologetically, I want to share personally, because uh, I think it'll help you. I think it'll, it'll empower you. Vision might be described as an ideal picture of our future that informs the way we act within our present reality. And again, this is not prescriptive at all, but, but there's something of, of the heart of the Apostle Paul in terms of his vision that I believe is universally helpful for every Christian, every leader, particularly every church leader. If it's true that without vision, people perish, I've found that with godly, wise vision, people come alive. People come alive. Some of you may have objections to any talk around vision, because I think probably over the last 10 years, we've talked far more about DNA, who you are, what you believe, and, and mission. And, and that's right, we'll, we'll talk about that. All of us are called just to be recipients of the Great Commission. But, but, but how do we find the unique fingerprint of God on our churches within DNA and vision? I grew up uh, in church in the 90s, and I mean, vision was the thing then. And these churches often, we, we had these lame sort of one-year visions that were catchphrases like, the Lord, strong and mighty in 1990, you know? And then suddenly, like, the vision changed the next year, you know, and it was like, thy kingdom come in 91. <laughs> or all things new in 92. Wild and free in 93. Whatever, you know, it was just lame. <laughs> and so I think some of us have this, this objection to well, vision. Is it just going to change every, every year and we find some rhyming, lame thing? But, but friends, the reality is, through the sweep of Scripture, men and women were compelled by what they saw. Abraham saw a city whose architect and builder was God and it informed the way he lived. Ezekiel saw a wheel. John saw a lamb. Paul, and we'll speak to that now, saw a podium, a prize. And it compelled them. It, it shaped the way they ran their race. So how do we, as Christians, as leaders, visioneers, craft and cast and implement vision? Turn with me, please, to Philippians 3, a, a well-plowed field here. And it's certainly not just about vision. We'll, we'll climb into the, the, the interpretation of the text before we apply it to, to vision. But it's, it's a beautiful one. This is the word of the Lord. Philippians 3 verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've already attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, 
and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul at times in his letters talked about running the race of faith with perseverance. This is not that passage. The tone and tenor of this passage is not just, well, you're at the halfway mark, just persevere, kind of press on. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, in the final stretch of his life. He's in a Roman prison. He's been shipwrecked on the way to Rome. We know that he bears on his body the marks of being stoned and left for dead, of being flogged three times to within one flog of the death penalty. We know his eyes are failing, he's getting old, he can't get to the churches that he longs to get to. Many of his co-workers have deserted him and betrayed him. If anyone could be excused for slowing down and resting on his laurels, it was the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul is, is, is not just talking about persevering, he's, he's on the home stretch. Let's, let's climb into the heart and mind of this beloved apostle and, 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 and feel his burning lungs and his cramping legs. And, 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 and he has a vision of a race and a tape, a finish line, and he wants to breast the tape at full stretch. This is a man who's saying, I'm not just running with perseverance, I'm running with intensity. I'm running with bravery. I want to press on. I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm straining towards the prize and the goal. Do you see that tone and tenor of this passage? And then Paul tells the Philippian church what what, what motivates him. What motivates him is the upward call of the prize of God in Christ Jesus. He's thinking about his resurrection, the resurrection of his body and and his reward, the the well done. He's living to please Jesus, his forerunner. And you say, well, that's great. That's, That's Paul's vision. This, you can't apply this to casting vision in a church. Well, this is personal, but, but it's also directive. Because Paul goes on and says, brothers, verse 17, join in imitating me. In other words, the way I am straining and pressing on, forgetting what lies behind, you should all do the same. And then he singles out those who are mature. Those who are mature especially, you should all think this way, he says. In other words, Paul is is assuming that when we've run a few miles, we tend to to slow down, We, we tend to check out. We tend to say, well, you know, I'll hearken back to the days I ran full steam and I'll tell you about my wisdom. And he's saying, no, actually, if you want to be mature leaders, younger leaders should be chasing, running to keep up. There should be an intensity. And then he goes on and he's weeping. You go, well, this, this, is, a, this is a letter of joy. Philippians, the letter of joy. Why does he say he's weeping? I've often told you and now tell you even with tears. He's weeping because some have stopped running. Some are chilling. Some because of the pain of lungs burning and obstacles that they tripped over and setbacks and three steps forward and two steps back. 
have stopped running. And he says, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Friends, beyond leadership, do we understand that casual Christianity is an enemy of the cross of Christ? In many of our cultures, we say, oh, those people that are running hard for Jesus, they're the Jesus freaks. No, Paul says, this is normal boasting in the cross. And to chill and check out is to, to walk as an enemy of the cross of Christ. In, in this passage, walking is not a good thing. <laughs> He's saying, you're just walking, it's an enemy of the cross of Christ. Now, of course, we've, we've got to be careful with this passage because what Paul is not saying is, I'm straining for salvation. He's not saying that. He, he makes very clear in, in, in verse 8 and verse 10 of chapter 3 that salvation is not what you strain for. That, that, that there is a righteousness that is given. And you rest in the finished work of the cross. Thank you, Lord. It is finished. But what he's saying is the finished work of the cross has a comma. And it propels us towards the unfinished work of the kingdom. And that requires effort. That requires straining. That requires pushing on. Forgetting what lies behind. Dallas Willard said this wonderful thing. He said, grace is opposed to earning, not opposed to effort. Hello? And while we know that, that, that our salvation is secure, we are deeply loved and we are tightly held. He says, God has laid hold of me. This is a sovereign God who just laid hold of him. I mean, he's saying, actually, we, we are straining to reciprocate with a similar tone and tenor. I'm laying hold as I was laid hold of. Apparently, in Paul's life, people don't just get a trophy for participating. Where we do church and sport, our kids just always get these participation trophies. Will they do well? whether they lose, whether they win, and it's like, oh, we don't want anyone to feel left out. And I just want to tell the coaches, do you know what my kids do with those participation trophies? They're great pencil holders. They're great tooth, toothbrush holders. Why? Because there's no sense of, you've strained and he has the reward. And the Christian life, we know on the one hand is absolutely free, but on the other hand, actually it's a meritocracy. There is a reward, and not every single person will hear the well done. Some, 1 Corinthians 3, will escape into heaven as those escaping the flames. That's the tone and tenor of this passage. You tracking with me? Yes. My, 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 my daughter uh, collects Michael Jackson cassettes. It's awesome. I'm like, why are you doing that, you know? Those things are terrible, cassettes, but it's just a novelty. And I told her the first time I was able to ditch my cassettes because I heard a CD, a compact disc. I remember where I was. Do you remember where you were? Older folk like me, the first time you, you heard the crystal clarity of compact disc. I remember where I was. I was in someone's lounge and they said, I'm putting on this CD. And it was the soundtrack of Chariots of Fire. You remember it? Sing it with me. Yeah, yeah. 
da 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 wait for it wait ja 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 da 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 yeah it's a it's it's a great soundtrack even greater movie is a story of Eric Liddell a christian a missionary who has this beautiful one line he says when i run i feel the pleasure of god but in the the famous race that 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 he wins but but he he falls down on the home stretch cramping lungs burning someone from the bleachers shouts out get up lad get up and finish the race and then when he finishes it he says it wasn't the prettiest race but certainly the bravest certainly the bravest that's the kind of bravery that paul is ta- calling us to in terms of vision so let's press on quickly firstly what do we learn from vision in this passage firstly vision is upward before it's onward i press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of god in christ jesus paul's ultimate vision is is upward it's, it's the prize of the upward call of God. And before we talk about casting vision to our churches, we, we have to understand that there is an eternal upward call. Each of us, he's motivated by that vision of the race, the finish line, the podium, uh, the trophy. And he realizes that his salvation is very secure. God has laid hold of him. But that actually reward is not as secure. It requires some strain. It's, it, it requires great application. I remember hearing Piper talk about this and, 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 and talk about the number of times he lost vision and the number of times he wanted actually to resign his pulpit. I was so encouraged by that. Piper wanted to resign. That num- number of times John Piper, who, who pastored one church for 35 years, just was like, I've lost vision. We're not getting anywhere. I just want to resign. And He talked about this idea of a prize. Because when we have an upward call, we we realize there's a prize. When the onward call is not working, the upward call sustains us. Because we have a different definition for what it is to succeed. Here, it's faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. That is what sustains us. And Piper talked about this passage and then Isaiah 61, where Isaiah says, though my labor is in vain, my reward is in his hands. And he said that verse sustained him and stopped him from resigning his pulpit many times because he realized even when there are times when your labor seems in vain, there is no forward momentum, my reward is in his hands. Let's remember that, let's remember that. And and Paul talks about how important it is for us to think often about our citizenship in heaven. Those that have forgotten the upward call, the upward prize, they are unable to say no to the flesh. They live as citizens of earth. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. He says, why? Because they've, they've, they, 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 they've forgotten that one day every tear will be wiped away. One day every longing will be met in the arms of Jesus. An upward call, my friends, is the answer to the tyranny of YOLO! You only live once. You've got to do everything right now. You've got to fulfill. You've got to have all your dreams met. It's the answer to FOMO, fear of missing out. Because if we think that all our dreams are going to be fulfilled here, man, we will not be able to say no when we realize 
our greatest desires will be fulfilled at the upward call, the prize of Jesus. We are able to run with perseverance, actually deferring gratification from time to time because our reward is in his hands. C.S. Lewis said this, those who did the most good in this life are those who thought most of the next. Secondly, vision is called before its craft. Verse 12, I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. Isn't that a beautiful verse? This idea of I, I am deeply loved and tightly held by Jesus. I'm not, I'm not straining to, to win his favor. I, I, he came, he saved me, I wasn't even looking for him. But I, I, I want to reciprocate in some way with the same veracity with which Jesus laid hold of me. I want to lay hold of that. I think many of us with, with, with vision think it's, it's about imagineering. The most imaginative leader wins. But, but we've got to be, begin with actually, what is that? What, what is the that that every single one of our churches are called to? And are we establishing people in that? Church planters, can I set you at ease? You do not have to come up with the sexiest, coolest vision in your first year. In fact, I encourage you not to. In your first three years, establish the that, the universal that. And for Paul, the that was firstly, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Tell you what, if, if we cast vision of what we're going to do before knowing Christ, we will be slaves to vision. But, but, but if out of intimacy and passion and love, abiding, we run, we bear fruit, there will be an ease, an unforced rhythm of grace. Establish the church in the that of knowing Christ. And then the that, the call for Paul was not just knowing Christ, it was making him known. Here he is in prison, and he says in Philippians 1 verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So, so Paul would like to be getting to all the churches he can't, but actually he can still fulfill his that, which is to know Christ in new ways, power and suffering, and to make him known. He's saying, well, actually, I can still be faithful to that. And so he starts sharing with the gods and the whole prison guard. My friends, as leaders, we have to help our churches get what I would call a mission before a vision. A, a mission is the that, the universal call of Jesus to every church, which is to know Christ and make him known. You, you, you can word it differently, but establish them in mission before vision. I, I call mission the mountain range and vision the mountain. The mountain range that you're running at should never change. In 2011, we, we established our church in, 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 in a that, in a mission, and it's simply this. We want to glorify the Father in the power of the Spirit by proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of Jesus. It hangs in our lobby. It hasn't changed for 11 years. At our 50th anniversary, I was like, guys, we should take down that, that mission statement and do something cool for our 50th. And they were like, I don't think that changes, Alan. I mean, the wording might change, but, but that's the that that hopefully will continue after I'm gone and continue until Jesus comes back. Establish your church in mission, in the that. It's call before it's craft. Will Mancini says this, at first, a unique vision must ooze from the leader's life 
as well as that leadership community. Second, the vision must create a unique culture inside the church that penetrates the culture outside. And listen to it, culture eats strategy for breakfast. What do I mean? Well, how can we have a vision for planting churches if we're not able to make disciples? How can we have a vision to push back darkness and break open cities if we don't know what it is to worship the one who breaks open cities for us? It's, it's the that. And I encourage us to establish culture, work at culture, and allow vision to flow out of that. I've been walking with a man, a number of guys in the church have too. He's a Jewish man. His wife came to our church uh, through our gym, we've got a gym in uh, the church, and she came from a Catholic background, and she got saved and baptized about two years ago. And this Jewish man, he's a businessman in the town. He's a delightful man. He started giving, serving, you, you know, attending prayer meetings. Better member than most of our members, and. Uh, and we had just n- numerous lunches where he'd have all sorts of questions about Jesus. And, and, and you know, over years, he was like, I think Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus is a good moral man. I think Jesus is even powerful, but he could not be Messiah. He cannot be. That, that is so rude. That is so insulting to my people, etc. And And just over years, over years, many meals and just the Spirit of God, just the hound of heaven nipping at his heels, wore down his resistance. And the night before Easter, he called me and he said, what are you doing for Easter, for, for dinner tonight? And I said, nothing. I mean, you, you know, preachers, the night before Easter, the last thing you want to do is go out for dinner. You know, it's your biggest. And I said to Renel, I think this is significant. And we went out to an Italian restaurant, had pork. He's not a very good Jew. And, uh, and uh, he just looked at me and he said, I know you've been walking a journey with me and many others have. And I know that I've said I could never call Jesus Messiah, but I want you to know that I love Jesus and he is my Messiah. <laughs> and, I, I, and I reached across to Ryan and I said, Ryan, this is the American dream right here. This is it. This is the dream. This is, this is the vision. This is the mission. My friends, if our, if our culture, the culture of loving Jesus and wanting to make him known oozes from our life, sharpened vision will come much more naturally. Thirdly, vision is defiant. It's defiant. Verse 13, not that I have already attained these things or had been made perfect, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what lies ahead. If anyone could have been boasting, it could have been the apostle Paul. He'd seen so much miraculously saved and people raised from the dead, many saved and churches planted, nations broken open. I mean, just unbelievable stuff. But he realizes even though he knows Jesus so well and has made him known so well, he has not arrived. And I want to say especially for those churches that are more mature, it's so easy to glorify the past. And yet Paul, there's a a defiance against past success. And I know there's a, there's a good remembering, as you said. We shouldn't just completely forget those things. But man, there's a bad remembering. 
One thing I do, forgetting what was past. In other words, I will not rest on my past successes. I will not rest on my laurels. And especially churches that have known some success, we we cannot cast vision like God is just going to do it the same as he did it before. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul being in prison going, okay, I remember what happened with Silas. Acts 16, I was chained to Silas. And we started singing those songs. The clever people said they they sang uh, Psalm 113 to 116, apparently. And imagine Paul just going, oh, I remember I had, had Silas and we started singing Psalm 116 and there was a massive prison earthquake and a prison break. Let me, let me sing those things again. Oh, come on, I bet you he tried some of those songs, right? And actually, past success was not something that he could rely on. He had to say, Lord, I want to know you now. What, 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 what are you doing now? How are you doing that differently now? We cannot rest on past success. That U2 song, I believe, in rock and roll, in the golden age of pop, we glorify the, future, the, the past when the future dries up. We are called to learn from the past, but we're not called to glorify it. God acts differently in different ways. We need to banish nostalgia. We need to deal with the trauma that has us stuck in the past One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I push on. Application. And I want to talk particularly about a multiplying vision. We we lead a church that that has a history of planting churches. Planted 17 times in 18 years. And we had this this organic approach to planting that that kind of worked well for many years, and it was, if we gather five families, we'll plant a church. And that worked really well with absolute sort of unicorns like Donnie and Jill Griggs and Brian and Rachel, just people who are multi-gifted and just incredible, but actually there was quite a high failure rate. And we had to say, Lord, your vision for us to be a multiplying church hasn't changed, but actually your ways must change. So we actually took three years and pushed pause on multiplying to say, Lord, what what are your ways? And we started to train more. We started to be more strategic and, and more gradual. We started to train people in terms of evangelism and administration and and preaching, not just relying on super gifting. Vision can remain the same, but the ways have to change. Paul was defiant of not only of past successes, but of current constrictions. While he acknowledges that he's in prison, while he acknowledges that he can't get to all these churches, he knows what he's got to do. And what he's going to do is is write some letters. He pushes on. Imagine if he said, well, I just can't get to the churches, so I just can't do anything. No, no, Paul, just write a couple of letters, just some letters. And what did God do with those letters? You see, some of you are saying, yeah, Alan, it's all fine for you to be talking about vision, but I am just struggling to survive. I can't pay salaries. I'm working two jobs, struggling to raise up leaders. My friends, this is a man who had a vision in huge constrictions, and he just did what he could do. 
God does his best work in prisons. Just those few letters. And look at what God, look at how many millions and millions of people have been encouraged by those letters. What are your current constrictions? When we started up again with our church planning vision, we had some places of confinement. It was an $800,000 lawyer's debt. It was a people jaded from almost two decades of planting. What is it to say, Lord, you are greater than these things? We can acknowledge them, but, but can you hear the defiance of this man? He's not allowing prison to dictate to him. Ask God for creative ways to work within your current constrictions of size, of finance, of expertise. You doing all right? Fourth vision is progressive. And this is the counterpoint in some ways to the last point of being defiant. Vision is progressive. Because Paul has got a vision. He's, he's got a vision that the gospel would continue to fly. He's got a vision that young leaders could get to churches that he couldn't get to. And what he's saying to this church is, look, don't glorify the past, but don't completely forget it. Build on it. Build on it. And this has been one of my most helpful lessons from this passage where he says, only let us live up to what we've already attained. In other words, people's faith for vision grows progressively, little by little. And there's two wrong ways to, to lead vision. One is, well, we've got these constrictions, we, we, we imprisoned, so let's just survive, let's have no vision. The other is to cast vision that is impossibly large. And people just go, I mean, that sounds like a brave heart speech. That's amazing, but, but we can't do it. And, and Paul says, no, actually, this Philippian church, God has done some incredible things. God has built you. They've hit some speed bumps, but, but let's build on strength. A wise man once said to me, you know, some people will bless out of faith. But most people will bless what they see God already blessing. In other words, in casting vision, there would be 20% early adopters. There would probably be 20% naysayers. But there are about 60% in the middle, people who actually through wise, progressive building can be turned, can be convinced. And our ability to say, man, we've done something Let's trust God for more is so key. Start somewhere. Four years ago, we started with sending around 90 people to the, to the city just 10 minutes below us. We started a multi-site journey, and God blessed it. God strengthened it. And then off the back of that, a year later, we felt God say, live up to what you've already attained. God's grace is on this. Let's go more. We still had big debt. We still weren't in the clear, but there was a sense of building from there. And so we felt God give us a three-in-three three vision. Joel has a, a five stones vision, quite, quite specific. Ours was three and three. We wanted to multiply three times in three years. And we felt it was just, it was just beyond our personal ability to do it, but it wasn't way beyond. 
And we started to plan for it. We, 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 we started a giving campaign to go with it. We actually started a giving campaign, firstly, to get rid of all our debt and build a church planning war chest. And friends, because people saw God's grace on that first one, they said, actually, this is not pie in the sky. We, we, we can do this. And I had one of the men who's honestly our, our most faithful investor in this vision, he sat with me and he said, Alan, two questions. Firstly, are you gonna change your mind in three years? Because I've been in churches where they cast vision and then it doesn't go so well and then they try that and try that and try that. I said, bro, as, as much as I can assure you, this is a long obedience in the same direction. He said, second question, are you going to be around for a few years? Are you going to leave? It was an interesting question. Not that the whole mission rests on me, but if you casting big vision, you've got to give people a sense that you are committed to following that thing through. I was able to reassure him, and he just started giving and giving and giving and giving. It's a remarkable thing. Build vision progressively. Ask God for a vision track record to build upon. It's not just about church planning. We have a mercy and justice vision. We have a personal evangelism vision. Five, I'm coming into land. Vision is specific. Paul says, I lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. And then he says, this one thing. Isn't that beautiful? There's the mountain range. There's the that, but then there's the this. And skillful visioneering, I believe, is establishing the church in the that that doesn't change and then say, actually, for this three years or this five years, there's the this. This one thing. And you know what, friends? That means saying no to some things. Where we live, there's such a social conscience. There are so many massive, amazing needs that we could give ourselves to in mercy and justice. We've had to say no, 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 yes. And we've got three mercy and justice mountains that we run at. And honestly, to the other people that come our way, it looks like we're shooting Bambi. How can you say no to this great cause? Well, actually, this one thing or these three things I do. <laughs> for, for Paul, the this one thing, it was actually more than one thing. It was forgetting. It was witnessing to the prison guard. It was writing some letters. For us, our, our mercy and justice vision is orphan care, building an orphanage and adopting. It's child sex slavery, working hard into that, and it's prison care. Those are our things. There are, there are plenty of other amazing things, but we felt like, no, no, actually, this one thing, these three things. And it's an amazing thing by God's kindness when you look back and go, focus, and the ability to say no to some great causes has produced some good fruit, this one thing. I encourage you to make your vision quantifiable. Mission, I mean, we're always going to be proclaiming the gospel and making disciples, and that's beautiful, but, but there's a problem with that, is that how do you know whether you've hit it? And there's something beautiful about holding yourselves to an account, my friends, not as a gun to your head, but as a spur in your side. And so three years ago, we started these three and three this three and three vision, and we had some action icons along with them that we were calling every member in the church to give, 
to train, to pray, and to go. We had these icons. And you know, to be honest, we missed our target by about three months. By God's kindness, we have just his, his grace. We've managed to multiply, and we're about to do the third in the fall. We missed it by three months. But I want to tell you, I'd love to miss it like that again. Honestly. Because more people have given and prayed and gone and trained than ever before. You see, vision is not just target, it's, it's trigger. It just gets people going. Why? Because they go, actually, we've got a timeline. And you know, at the end of our timeline, which was April, we looked back and we said, guys, we just about, we, we almost got it, we, we kind of missed it, but God, you've been so kind, you've done so much. Now we're going away saying, Lord, what are the next three or five or 10 years? Hear me, I'm not prescriptive, but, but sometimes what happens is we cast such a vague vision, there's no sense of putting chalk on the board. And there's nothing like being able to celebrate what God does as his people lay hold of that for which he laid hold of them. Finally, vision is collaborative. Let us live up to what we've already attained. Let us hear the urgency in Paul's heart. This is not just me. I'm not just the guy. Let's, let's all think this way. Let, let, let us go together. Philippians is the letter of unity. If you have any encouragement from being united in love, make my joy complete by being completely one in spirit and purpose. It's the, it's the letter of unity. And visionaries, I want to plead with you that process is as important as target. Go slow enough to get buy-in. And not just buy-in with your elders. Get buy-in with your business folk. Get buy-in from your creative folk. Help them to put feet. Not the creative people. Help them to make it cool. But the implementers, help them help you to put feet. We had such incredible experts in their field come around us for a giving campaign and a planning campaign and our mercy and justice campaign. And actually, when we presented it to the church, there was a sense in which we processed it slow enough for the majority to get on board. Don't pull the trigger too quick. Don't pull the trigger too quick. Include your prophetic people in vision. And I will land with this prophecy has been compelling in the formation of vision. I, I want to free lead elders from this mosaic complex to come down from the mountain with two tablets of stone. This is the vision. No, no, no. It's by the whispers of the Spirit that, that we've begun to go, which way are you blowing? Oh, I think it's this. Vision is not an exact science. It's, it's art. But, but, but there's a that for every church. But there's a, there's a unique wind. There's a unique fingerprint on each church. And there's nothing like as a team. Going, I think we're finding the reason why we're alive. I think we're finding the reason for this lampstand. I know we'll always be proclaiming the gospel. But, but actually there's something unique. There's a unique grace. When you find your unique grace and lead your people, there's nothing like it. And you know, often the fingerprints are in the prophetic history of the church. First thing I did when I, when I 
took the leadership. I just got the file of what has God said. And I just saw again and again and again. For 30 years, there was prophecy about planting, planting, planting. And the man, Jesse Mason, led the church from 1981 to 1996. Had this vision in the early 90s about points of light multiplying all over the Southland, Southern California. And he began to lead the church through that. The last prophetic word I got from Jesse before he passed away about four years ago was he emailed me and he said, Alan, I was reminded of that word 20 years ago, almost. And he said, ever since we started to lean in to the Spirit's purpose for us to multiply points of light all over the Southland, it was like all hell broke loose against the church. Satan hates vision. And he said, I woke up, this was just before he passed away, I woke up and I just sensed the Spirit say this, from now on, for this people, it will be easier. I was just like, oh Lord, I have it on my desk. I refer to it often and it's been true. It has not been easy, it's been easier. Hold fast to prophetic words. Work with them enough with your theologians, with your creative folk, with your implementers, to craft and cast compelling, wise vision for the glory of God and the joy of the nations. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you have laid hold of us. And we thank you that you, by your Spirit, empower us by grace to lay hold of that for which you laid hold of us. I ask that you would empower each one of us to lead our churches into the that and into the this. Would help us to establish the universal call of every church to know you and make you known. But God, I pray, even going from this place, that there would be conversations amongst leaders and their teams. Oh Lord, what is the this? Give people courage to say no to good things that are not your thing. And I pray that from this day, we'll be able to look back and say, oh Lord, you opened our eyes to the prize and we ran not just with perseverance, but with bravery. In Jesus' name, amen.